Hello, I am a Buddhist in Tokyo. The story I'm going to introduce today is a bit long, but it is an important part, so let's listen to it repeatedly. Today's topic is various methods of practice. The ways of practice. For those who seek enlightenment there are three ways of practice that must be understood and followed, first, disciplines for practical behavior, second, right concentration of mind, and third, wisdom. What are disciplines? Everyone, whether he is a common man or a way seeker, should follow the precepts for good behavior. He should control both his mind and body, and guard the gates of his five senses. He should be afraid of even a trifling evil and, from moment to moment, should endeavor to practice only good deeds. What is meant by the concentration of mind? It means to get quickly away from greedy and evil desires as they arise and to hold the mind pure and tranquil. What is wisdom? It is the ability to perfectly understand and to patiently accept the fourfold noble truth, to know the fact of suffering and its nature, to know the source of suffering, to know what constitutes the end of suffering, and to know the noble path that leads to the end of suffering. Those who earnestly follow these three ways of practice may rightly be called the disciples of Buddha. Suppose a donkey, that has no nice shape, no voice and no horns like those of the cow, was following a herd of cows and proclaiming, look, I am also a cow. Would anyone believe him? It is just as foolish when a man does not follow the three ways of practice but boasts that he is a way seeker or disciple of Buddha. Before a farmer gathers a harvest in the fall, he must first plow the ground, sow the seed, irrigate, and remove the weeds as they come up in the springtime. Likewise, the seeker of enlightenment must follow the three ways of practice. A farmer cannot expect to see the buds today, to see the plants tomorrow, and to gather the harvest the day after. So a man who seeks enlightenment cannot expect to remove worldly desires today, to remove attachments and evil desires tomorrow, and to get enlightenment the day after. Just as plants receive the patient care of the farmer after the seed has been sown and during the changes of climate and during the growth from plant to fruit, so the seeker of enlightenment must patiently and perseveringly cultivate the soil of enlightenment by following the three ways of practice. It is difficult to advance along the path that leads to enlightenment so long as one is covetous of comforts and luxuries and his mind disturbed by the desires of the senses. There is a wide difference between the enjoyment of life and the enjoyment of the true path. As already explained, the mind is the source of all things. If the mind enjoys worldly affairs, illusions and suffering will inevitably follow, but if the mind enjoys the true path, happiness, contentment and enlightenment will just as surely follow. Therefore, those who are seeking enlightenment should keep their minds pure, and patiently keep and practice the three ways. If they keep the precepts they will naturally obtain concentration of mind, and if they obtain concentration of the mind it will be just as natural for them to grasp wisdom, and wisdom will lead them to enlightenment. Indeed, these three ways keeping the precepts, practicing concentration of mind and always acting wisely, are the true path to enlightenment. By not following them, people have for a long time accumulated mental delusions. They must not argue with worldly people, but must patiently meditate in their inner world of a pure mind in order to attain enlightenment. If the three ways of practice are analyzed, they will reveal the Eightfold Noble Path, the four viewpoints to be considered, the four right procedures, the five faculties of power to be employed, and the perfection of six practices. The Noble Eightfold Path refers to right view, right thought, right speech, right behavior, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration.
Right view means to thoroughly understand the fourfold truth, to believe in the law of cause and effect and not to be deceived by appearances and desires. Right thought means the resolution not to cherish desires, not to be greedy, not to be angry, and not to do any harmful deed. Right speech means the avoidance of lying words, idle words, abusive words, and double tongues. Right behavior means not to destroy any life, not to steal, or not to commit adultery. Right livelihood means to avoid any life that would bring shame. Right effort means to try to do one's best diligently toward the right direction. Right mindfulness means to maintain a pure and thoughtful mind. Right concentration means to keep the mind right and tranquil for its concentration, seeking to realize the mind's pure essence. The four viewpoints to be considered are First, to consider the body impure, seeking to remove all attachment to it. Second, to consider the senses as a source of suffering, whatever their feelings of pain or pleasure may be. Third, to consider the mind to be in a constant state of flux. And fourth, to consider everything in the world as being a consequence of cause and conditions and that nothing remains unchanged forever. The four right procedures are. First, to prevent any evil from starting. Second, to remove any evil as soon as it starts. Third, to induce the doing of good deeds. And fourth, to encourage the growth and continuance of good deeds that have already started. One must endeavor to keep these four procedures. The five faculties of power are. First, the faith to believe. Second, the will to make the endeavor. Third, the faculty of alertness. Fourth, the ability to concentrate one's mind. And fifth, the ability to maintain clear wisdom. These five faculties are necessary powers to attain enlightenment. The perfection of six practices for reaching the other shore of enlightenment are, the path of offering, the path of keeping precepts, the path of endurance, the path of endeavor, the path of concentration of mind, and the path of wisdom. By following these paths, one can surely pass from the shore of delusion over to the shore of enlightenment. The practice of offering gets rid of selfishness, the practice of precepts keeps one thoughtful of the rights and comforts of others, the practice of endurance helps one to control a fearful or angry mind, the practice of endeavor helps one to be diligent and faithful, the practice of concentration helps one to control a wandering and futile mind, and the practice of wisdom changes a dark and confused mind into a clear and penetrating insight. Offering and keeping precepts make the foundation necessary to build a great castle on. Endurance and endeavor are the walls of the castle that protect it against enemies from outside. Concentration and wisdom are the personal armor that protects one against the assaults of life and death. If one gives away a gift only when convenient, or because it is easier to give than not to give, it is an offering, of course, but it is not a true offering. A true offering comes from a sympathetic heart before any request is made, and a true offering is the one that gives not occasionally but constantly. Neither is it a true offering if after the act there are feelings of regret or of self-praise, a true offering is one that is given with pleasure, forgetting oneself as the giver, the one who receives it and the gift itself. True offering springs spontaneously from one's pure compassionate heart with no thought of any return, wishing to enter into a life of enlightenment together. There are seven kinds of offerings which can be practiced by even those who are not wealthy. The first is the physical offering. This is to offer service by one's labor. The highest type of this offering is to offer one's own life as is shown in the following story. The second is the spiritual offering. This is to offer a compassionate heart to others. The third is the offering of eyes. This is to offer a warm glance to others which will give them tranquility. The fourth is the offering of countenance. This is to offer a soft countenance with smile to others. The fifth is the oral offering. This is to offer kind and warm words to others. The sixth is the seed offering. 
This is to offer one's seat to others. The seventh is the offering of shelter. This is to let others spend the night at one's home. These kinds of offering can be practiced by anyone in everyday life. Once there was a prince named Sutva. One day he and his two elder brothers went to a forest to play. There they saw a famished tigress which was evidently tempted to devour her own seven cubs to satisfy her hunger. The elder brothers ran away in fear but Sutva climbed up a cliff and threw himself over it to the tigress in order to save the lives of the baby tigers. Prince Sutva did this charitable act spontaneously but within his mind he was thinking, this body is changing and impermanent, I have loved this body with no thought of throwing it away, but now I make it an offering to this tigress so that I may gain enlightenment. This thought of Prince Sutva shows the true determination to gain enlightenment. There are four unlimited states of mind that the seeker of enlightenment should cherish, they are compassion, tenderness, one can remove suffering by gladness, and one can remove the habit of discrimination of enemies and friends by cherishing an equitable mind. It is a great compassion that makes people happy and contented, it is a great tenderness that removes everything that does not make people happy and contented, it is great gladness that makes everyone happy and contented with a mind of joy, there is a great peacefulness when everyone is happy and contented, and then one can have equal feelings toward everybody. With care one may cherish these four unlimited states of mind and may get rid of greed, anger, suffering, and the minds of love-hate, but it is not an easy thing to do. An evil mind is as hard to get rid of as a watchdog, and a right mind is as easy to lose as a deer in a forest, or an evil mind is as hard to remove as letters carved in stone, and a right mind is as easy to lose as words written in water. Indeed, it is the most difficult thing in life to train oneself for enlightenment. There was a young man named Srona who was born in a wealthy family but was of delicate health. He was very earnest to gain enlightenment and became a disciple of the Blessed One. On the path to enlightenment, he tried so hard that finally his feet bled. The Blessed One pitied him and said, Srona my boy, did you ever study the harp at your home? You know that a harp does not make music if the strings are stretched too tight or too loose. It makes music only when the strings are stretched just right. The training for enlightenment is just like adjusting the harp strings. You cannot attain enlightenment if you stretch the strings of your mind too loosely or too tightly. You must be considerate and act wisely. Srona found these words very profitable and finally gained what he sought. Once there was a prince who was skillful in the use of the five weapons. One day he was returning home from his practice and met a monster whose skin was invulnerable. The monster started for him but nothing daunted the prince. He shot an arrow at him which fell harmless. Then he threw his spear which failed to penetrate the thick skin. Then he threw a bar and a javelin but they failed to hurt the monster. Then he used his sword but the sword broke. The prince attacked the monster with his fists and feet but to no purpose, for the monster clutched him in his giant arms and held him fast. Then the prince tried to use his head as a weapon but in vain. The monster said, it is useless for you to resist, I am going to devour you. But the prince answered, you may think that I have used all my weapons and am helpless, but I still have one weapon left. If you devour me, I will destroy you from the inside of your stomach. The courage of the prince disturbed the monster and he asked, how can you do that? The prince replied, by the power of the truth. Then the monster released him and begged for his instruction in the truth. The teaching of this fable is to encourage disciples to persevere in their efforts and to be undaunted in the face of many setbacks. Both odious self-assertion and shamelessness offend mankind, but dishonor and shame protect human beings. People respect their parents, elders, brothers and sisters because they are sensitive to dishonor and shame. 
After self-reflection it is meritorious to withhold honor from oneself and to feel ashamed by observing other people. If a man possesses a repentant spirit his sins will disappear, but if he has an unrepentant spirit his sins will continue and condemn him forever. It is only the one who hears the true teaching rightly and realizes its meaning in relation to oneself who can receive and profit by it. If a man merely hears the true teaching but does not acquire it, he will fail in his search for enlightenment. Faith, modesty, humbleness, endeavor and wisdom are the great sources of strength to him who is seeking enlightenment. Among these, wisdom is the greatest of all and the rest are but the aspects of wisdom. If a man, while in his training, loves worldly affairs, enjoys idle talk or falls asleep, he will be retired from the path to enlightenment. In training for enlightenment, some may succeed quicker than others. Therefore, one should not be discouraged to see others becoming enlightened first. When a man is practicing archery, he does not expect quick success but knows that if he practices patiently, he will become more and more accurate. A river begins as a brook but grows even larger until it flows into the great ocean. Like these examples, if a man trains with patience and perseverance, he will surely gain enlightenment. As already explained, if one keeps his eyes open, he will see the teaching everywhere, and so his opportunities for enlightenment are endless. Once there was a man who was burning incense. He noticed that the fragrance was neither coming nor going, it neither appeared nor disappeared. This trifle incident led him to gain enlightenment. Once there was a man who got a thorn stuck in his foot. He felt the sharp pain and a thought came to him, that pain was only a reaction of the mind. From this incident a deeper thought followed that the mind may get out of hand if one fails to control it, or it may become pure if one succeeds. From these thoughts, a little later, enlightenment came to him. There was another man who was very avaricious. One day he was thinking of his greedy mind when he realized that greedy thoughts were but shavings and kindlings that wisdom could burn and consume. That was the beginning of his enlightenment. There is an old saying, keep your mind level. If the mind is level, the whole world will be level. Consider these words. Realize that all the distinctions of the world are caused by the discriminating views of the mind. There is a path to enlightenment in those very words. Indeed, the ways to enlightenment are unlimited. Those who take refuge in the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, are called the disciples of Buddha. The disciples of Buddha observe the four parts of mind control, the precepts, faith, offering and wisdom. The disciples of Buddha practice the five precepts, not to kill, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to lie, and not to take intoxicants of any kind. The disciples of Buddha have faith in the Buddha's perfect wisdom. They try to keep away from greediness and selfishness and to practice offering. They understand the law of cause and effect, keeping in mind the transiency of life and conform to the norm or wisdom. A tree leaning toward the east will naturally fall eastward and so those who listen to the Buddha's teaching and maintain faith in it will surely be born in the Buddha's pure land. It has rightly been said that those who believe in the three treasures of the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha are called the disciples of Buddha. The Buddha is the one who attained perfect enlightenment and used his attainment to emancipate and bless all mankind. The Dharma is the truth, the spirit of enlightenment and the teaching that explains it. The Sangha is the perfect brotherhood of believers in the Buddha and Dharma. We speak of Buddhahood, the Dharma and the Brotherhood as though they are three different things, but they are really only one. Buddha is manifested in his Dharma and is realized by the Brotherhood. Therefore, to believe in the Dharma and to cherish the Brotherhood is to have faith in the Buddha, and to have faith in the Buddha means to believe in the Dharma and to cherish the Brotherhood. Therefore, people are emancipated and enlightened simply by having faith in the Buddha.
Buddha is the perfectly enlightened one and he loves everyone as though each were his only child. So if anyone regards Buddha as his own parent, he identifies himself with Buddha and attains enlightenment. Those who thus regard Buddha will be supported by his wisdom and perfumed by his grace. Nothing in the world brings greater benefit than to believe in Buddha. Just hearing Buddha's name, believing and being pleased even for a moment, is incomparably rewarding. Therefore, one must please oneself by seeking the teaching of Buddha in spite of the conflagration that fills all the world. It will be hard to meet a teacher who can explain the Dharma, it will be harder to meet a Buddha, but it will be hardest to believe in his teaching. But now that you have met the Buddha, who is hard to meet, and have had it explained to you what is hard to hear, you ought to rejoice and believe and have faith in Buddha. On the long journey of human life, faith is the best of companions, it is the best refreshment on the journey, and it is the greatest possession. Faith is the hand that receives the Dharma, it is the pure hand that receives all the virtues. Faith is the fire that consumes all the impurities of worldly desires, it removes the burden, and it is the guide that leads one's way. Faith removes greed, fear and pride, it teaches courtesy and to respect others, it frees one from the bondage of circumstances, it gives one courage to meet hardship, it gives one power to overcome temptations, it enables one to keep one's deeds bright and pure, and it enriches the mind with wisdom. Faith is the encouragement when one's way is long and wearisome, and it leads to enlightenment. Faith makes us feel that we are in the presence of Buddha and it brings us to where Buddha's arm supports us. Faith softens our heart and selfish minds and gives us a friendly spirit and a mind of understanding sympathy. Those who have faith gain the wisdom to recognize the Buddha's teaching in whatever they hear. Those who have faith gain the wisdom to see that everything is but the appearance that arises from the law of causes and conditions, and then faith gives them the grace of patient acceptance and the ability to conform to their conditions peacefully. Faith gives them the wisdom to recognize the transiency of life and the grace not to be surprised or grieved at whatever comes to them or with the passing of life itself, knowing that, however conditions and appearances may change, the truth of life remains always unchanged. Faith has three significant aspects, repentance, a rejoicing and sincere respect for the virtues of others, and a grateful acceptance of Buddha's appearance. People should cultivate these aspects of faith, they should be sensitive to their failings and impurities, they should be ashamed of them and confess them, they should diligently practice the recognition of the good traits and good deeds of others and praise them for their sake, and they should habitually desire to act with Buddha and to live with Buddha. The mind of faith is the mind of sincerity, it is a deep mind, a mind that is sincerely glad to be led to Buddha's pure land by his power. Therefore, Buddha gives a power to faith that leads people to the pure land, a power that purifies them, a power that protects them from self-delusion. Even if they have faith only for a moment, when they hear Buddha's name praised all over the world, they will be led to his pure land. Faith is not something that is added to the worldly mind, it is the manifestation of the mind's Buddha nature. One who understands Buddha is a Buddha himself, one who has faith in Buddha is a Buddha himself. But it is difficult to uncover and recover one's Buddha nature, it is difficult to maintain a pure mind in the constant rise and fall of greed, anger and worldly passion, yet faith enables one to do it. Within the forest of the poisonous Aranda trees only Aranda trees are said to grow, but not the fragrant Chandana. It is a miracle if a Chandana tree grows in an Aranda forest. Likewise, it is often a miracle that faith in Buddha grows in the heart of the people. Therefore, the faith to believe in Buddha is called a, rootless, faith. That is, it has no root to grow in the compassionate mind of Buddha. Thus faith is fruitful and sacred. But faith is had to awaken in an idle mind.
In particular, there are five doubts that lurk in the shadows of the human mind and tend to discourage faith. Those who thus regard Buddha will be supported by his wisdom and perfumed by his grace. Nothing in the world brings greater benefit than to believe in Buddha. Just hearing Buddha's name, believing and being pleased even for a moment, is incomparably rewarding. Therefore, one must please oneself by seeking the teaching of Buddha in spite of the conflagration that fills all the world. It will be hard to meet a teacher who can explain the Dharma, it will be harder to meet a Buddha, but it will be hardest to believe in his teaching. But now that you have met the Buddha, who is hard to meet, and have had it explained to you what is hard to hear, you ought to rejoice and believe and have faith in Buddha. On the long journey of human life, faith is the best of companions, it is the best refreshment on the journey, and it is the greatest possession. Faith is the hand that receives the Dharma, it is the pure hand that receives all the virtues. Faith is the fire that consumes all the impurities of worldly desires, it removes the burden, and it is the guide that leads one's way. Faith removes greed, fear and pride, it teaches courtesy and to respect others, it frees one from the bondage of circumstances, it gives one courage to meet hardship, it gives one power to overcome temptations, it enables one to keep one's deeds bright and pure, and it enriches the mind with wisdom. Faith is the encouragement when one's way is long and wearisome, and it leads to enlightenment. Faith makes us feel that we are in the presence of Buddha and it brings us to where Buddha's arm supports us. Faith softens our heart and selfish minds and gives us a friendly spirit and a mind of understanding sympathy. Those who have faith gain the wisdom to recognize the Buddha's teaching in whatever they hear. Those who have faith gain the wisdom to see that everything is but the appearance that arises from the law of causes and conditions, and then faith gives them the grace of patient acceptance and the ability to conform to their conditions peacefully. Faith gives them the wisdom to recognize the transiency of life and the grace not to be surprised or grieved at whatever comes to them or with the passing of life itself, knowing that, however conditions and appearances may change, the truth of life remains always unchanged. Faith has three significant aspects, repentance, a rejoicing and sincere respect for the virtues of others, and a grateful acceptance of Buddha's appearance. People should cultivate these aspects of faith, they should be sensitive to their failings and impurities, they should be ashamed of them and confess them, they should diligently practice the recognition of the good traits and good deeds of others and praise them for their sake, and they should habitually desire to act with Buddha and to live with Buddha. The mind of faith is the mind of sincerity, it is a deep mind, a mind that is sincerely glad to be led to Buddha's pure land by his power. Therefore, Buddha gives a power to faith that leads people to the pure land, a power that purifies them, a power that protects them from self-delusion. Even if they have faith only for a moment, when they hear Buddha's name praised all over the world, they will be led to his pure land. Faith is not something that is added to the worldly mind, it is the manifestation of the mind's Buddha nature. One who understands Buddha is a Buddha himself, one who has faith in Buddha is a Buddha himself. But it is difficult to uncover and recover one's Buddha nature, it is difficult to maintain a pure mind in the constant rise and fall of greed, anger and worldly passion, yet faith enables one to do it. Within the forest of the poisonous aranda trees only aranda trees are said to grow, but not the fragrant chandana. It is a miracle if a chandana tree grows in an aranda forest. Likewise, it is often a miracle that faith in Buddha grows in the heart of the people. Therefore, the faith to believe in Buddha is called a, rootless, faith. That is, it has no root to grow in the compassionate mind of Buddha. Thus faith is fruitful and sacred. But faith is had to awaken in an idle mind. In particular, there are five doubts that lurk in the shadows of the human mind and tend to discourage faith.
He abused me, he laughed at me, he struck me. Thus one thinks and so long as one retains such thoughts one's anger continues. Anger will never disappear so long as there are thoughts of resentment in the mind. Anger will disappear just as soon as thoughts of resentment are forgotten. If a roof is improperly made or in disrepair, rain will leak into the house, so greed enters the mind that is improperly trained or out of control. To be idle is a short road to death and to be diligent is a way of life, foolish people are idle, wise people are diligent. An arrow maker tried to make his arrows straight, so a wise man tries to keep his mind straight. A disturbed mind is forever active, jumping hither and thither, and hard to control, but a tranquil mind is peaceful, therefore, it is wise to keep the mind under control. It is a man's own mind, not his enemy or foe, that lures him into evil ways. The one who protects his mind from greed, anger and foolishness, is the one who enjoys real and lasting peace. To utter pleasant words without practicing them is like a fine flower without fragrance. The fragrance of the flower does not float against the wind, but the honor of a good man goes even against the wind into the world. A night seems long to a sleepless man and a journey seems long to a weary traveler, so the time of delusion and suffering seems long to a man who does not know the right teaching. On a trip a man should travel with a companion of equal mind or one who has a better mind, one had better travel alone than to travel with a fool. An insincere and evil friend is more to be feared than a wild beast, a wild beast may wound your body, but an evil friend will wound your mind. So long as a man cannot control his own mind, how can he get any satisfaction from thinking such thoughts as, this is my son, or, this is my treasure. A foolish man suffers from such thoughts. To be foolish and to recognize that one is a fool, is better than to be foolish and imagine that one is wise. A spoon cannot taste of the food it carries. Likewise, a foolish man cannot understand the wise man's wisdom even if he associates with a sage. Fresh milk is often slow to curdle, so sinful actions do not always bring immediate results. Sinful actions are more like coals of fire that are hidden in the ashes and keep on smoldering, finally causing a greater fire. A man is foolish to desire privileges, promotion, profits, or honor, for such desires can never bring happiness but will bring suffering instead. A good friend who points out mistakes and imperfections and rebukes evil is to be respected as if he reveals the secret of some hidden treasure. A man who is pleased when he receives good instruction will sleep peacefully, because his mind is thereby cleansed. A carpenter seeks to make his beam straight, an arrow maker seeks to make his arrows well balanced, the digger of an irrigation ditch seeks to make the water run smoothly, so a wise man seeks to control his mind so that it will function smoothly and truly. A great rock is not disturbed by the wind, the mind of a wise man is not disturbed by either honor or abuse. To conquer oneself is a greater victory than to conquer thousands in a battle. To live a single day and hear a good teaching is better than to live a hundred years without knowing such teaching. Those who respect themselves must be on constant guard lest they yield to evil desires. Once in a lifetime, at least, they should awaken faith, either in their youth, or in middle age, or even in old age. The world is always burning, burning with the fires of greed, anger and foolishness, one should flee from such dangers as soon as possible. The world is like a bubble, it is like the gossamer web of a spider, it is like the defilement in a dirty jar, one should constantly protect the purity of his mind. To avoid any evil, to seek the good to keep the mind pure, this is the essence of Buddha's teaching. Endurance is one of the most difficult disciplines, but it is to him who endures that the final victory comes.
One must remove resentment when he is feeling resentful, one must remove sorrow while he is in the midst of sorrow, one must remove greediness while he is steeped in greed. To live a pure unselfish life, one must count nothing as one's own in the midst of abundance. To be healthy is a great advantage, to be contented with what one has is better than the possession of great wealth, to be considered reliable is the truest mark of friendliness, to attain enlightenment is the highest happiness. When one has the feeling of dislike for evil, when one feels tranquil, when one finds pleasure in listening to good teachings, when one has these feelings and appreciates them, one is free of fear. Do not become attached to the things you like, do not maintain aversion to the things you dislike. Sorrow, fear and bondage come from one's likes and dislikes. Rust grows from iron and destroys it, so evil grows from the mind of man and destroys him. A scripture that is not read with sincerity soon becomes covered with dust, a house that is not fixed when it needs repairing becomes filthy, so an idle man soon becomes defiled. Impure acts defile a person, stinginess defiles an offering, so evil acts defile not only this life but also the following lives. But the defilement to be most dreaded is the defilement of ignorance. A man cannot hope to purify either his body or mind until ignorance is removed. It is easy to slip into shamelessness, to be pert and bold like a crow, to hurt others without any feeling of regret for such action. It is hard, indeed, to feel humble, to know respect and honor, to get rid of all attachments, to keep pure in thought and deed, and to become wise. It is easy to point out the mistakes of others, while it is hard to admit one's own mistakes. A man broadcasts the sins of others without thinking, but he hides his own sins as a gambler hides his extra dice. The sky holds no trace of bird or smoke or storm, an evil teaching carries no enlightenment, nothing in this world is stable, but an enlightened mind is undisturbed. As a knight guards his castle gate, so one must guard one's mind from dangers outside and dangers inside, one must not neglect it for a moment. Everyone is the master of himself, he is the oasis he can depend on, therefore, everyone should control himself above all. The first steps toward spiritual freedom from the worldly bonds and fetters are to control one's mind, to stop idle talk, and to be somewhat pensive. The sun makes the day bright, the moon makes the night beautiful, discipline adds to the dignity of a warrior, so quiet meditation distinguishes the seeker for enlightenment. He who is unable to guard his five senses of eyes, ears, nose, tongue and body, and becomes tempted by his surroundings, is not the one who can train for enlightenment. He who firmly guards the gateways of his five senses and keeps his mind under control is the one who can successfully train for enlightenment. He who is influenced by his likes and dislikes cannot rightly understand the significance and circumstances and tends to be overcome by them. He who is free from attachments rightly understands circumstances and to him all things become new and significant. Happiness follows sorrow, sorrow follows happiness, but when one no longer discriminates between happiness and sorrow, a good deed and a bad deed, one is able to realize freedom. To worry in anticipation or to cherish regret for the past is like the reeds that are cut and wither away. The secret of health for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past, not to worry about the future, or not to anticipate troubles, but to live wisely and earnestly for the present. Do not dwell in the past, do not dream of the future, concentrate the mind on the present moment. It is worthy to perform the present duty well and without failure, do not seek to avoid or postpone it till tomorrow. By acting now, one can live a good day. Wisdom is the best guide and faith is the best companion. One must try to escape from the darkness of ignorance and suffering, and seek the light of enlightenment. If a man's body and mind are under control he should give evidence of it in virtuous deeds. This is a sacred duty.
Faith will then be his wealth, sincerity will give his life a sweet savor, and to accumulate virtues will be his sacred task. On life's journey faith is nourishment, virtuous deeds are a shelter, wisdom is the light by day and right mindfulness is the protection by night. If a man lives a pure life nothing can destroy him, if he has conquered greed nothing can limit his freedom. One should forget oneself for the sake of one's family, one should forget one's family for the sake of one's village, one should forget one's village for the sake of the nation, and one should forget everything for the sake of enlightenment. Everything is changeable, everything appears and disappears, there is no blissful peace until one passes beyond the agony of life and death. Thanks for listening. I know it was a long story. What does it mean to be enlightened? What does it mean to awaken to wisdom? In my opinion, it is to realize one's own ignorance, one's own stupidity. A person who is not aware of his stupidity is a total fool. A person who knows his stupidity is not stupid. He will surely turn into a humble person. And that person will be acutely aware of the suffering of his neighbor, he will see the injustices of society. That person will surely comfort his neighbor, criticize social injustice and act for the betterment of society. This is enlightenment. This is Buddhist world of awakening. This passage from the podcast was excerpted and edited from, Teachings of the Buddha, published by Bukkyo Dendo Kyoke. They own the copyright of the book. The name means, Buddhist Missionary Association, in Japanese, and has an office in Minato-ku, Tokyo. You will have access to Buddhist scriptures translated into languages from around the world. You have just finished listening to a broadcast by Takahisa Kanai from Guko Shorin. Goodbye, see you soon.